Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast for our look at the beautiful game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. My name is Chess Warren and joining me is the agent to some WSL players. I would give you my um, phone number, but I can't kick a ball to save my life. It's David Fernhead. And also our second guest today is producer Luke. We've got him back on back on the show, back on the pod. So make sure you give him some love. There was midweek action in the WSL where Everton picks up a vital three points thanks to Gali's first goal for the club in 10 minutes from time. The Italy midfielder gave the Toffees their first win since the sacking of Jean-Luc Vasseur. The two sides are now separated by just two points and Everton have a game in hand as well. Arsenal scored three first half goals as they cruised to victory over Reading to extend their lead at the top of the Women's Super League to five points. Viviana Miedemar opened the scoring in 22 minutes and Katie McCabe doubled the advantage two minutes later. Leah Williamson, starting her first WSL game since November, nodded in the Gunners third, then Cena Blackstenius poked home Miedemar's cross. Defeat means now sixth place Reading have lost back-to-back league games. But back to this weekend and the first domestic trophy of the season was up to grabs at Plough Lane and it was Manchester City who took the spoils. I was actually in attendance in the wet and windy home of Wimbledon FC and luckily I was also behind the goal where the four goals were scored. The game had some controversy as a Lauren Hemp ball came off the post early and Sophie Ingle decided to help out AKB with a controversial stop, which may or may not have been with her hands, but the referee didn't spot it, despite calls for handball from the City team. Coming back from that, Sam Kerr capitalised on a poorly picked up cross by Roebuck in the 34th minute and put Chelsea ahead at the break. I don't know what Gareth Taylor said to the City team at halftime. Maybe he mentioned that England manager Serena Wiegmann was in the crowd, but they came out strong in the second half. Kazweer slotted one home at the 49th minute from a Stanway cross. Ellen White tapped in another to make it 2-1, and Weir sealed it with a lovely volley in the top of the net, and the game ended 3-1. Now, Manchester City looked incredibly switched on in the second half. And they didn't rely on just playing the ball through hemp to create chances. David, do you think this is a promising sign for the City side? I think it's very promising. I think, look, they've, they've, they've had a little bit of trouble with injuries. Um, they brought in a lot of new players. Um, but I think they've, they've kind of got things together now. They've, they've turned the corner, as we say. Um, I think it's very interesting for the league as well. Um, you know, obviously, for the strength of the league, you want a strong Manchester City in there. Um, so I think it's going to make the, the back end of this season very, very interesting with a, with a City side that are now coming into their own. But what actually happened to Chelsea in this game? Emma Hayes spoke in the post-match about how the first goal that City scored came when Chelsea had 10 players on the pitch as one had to go off for injury. And that kind of led to a collapse in midfield. How can they prevent uh, these dramatic kind of momentum changes in the future? I think that's one of the worries that you have about Chelsea and you look at the Champions League. It, it, it's kind of hard because Chelsea have to be quite relentless. Um, everyone expects them to be brilliant every time they go out there. Um, there's a lot of pressure on them for that reason. Um, and I think if they just take their eye off the ball, then other clubs pounce. Um, you know, I, I do think that you do have to worry about the sort of strength in the league because without being too disrespectful to other teams, um, the WSL sometimes... You know, Chelsea can go out there and they're just so dominant 
um, that they're not used to be challenged. Um, and I think that's that's what's, you know, we've seen Chelsea get beat sometimes by very unfavoured sides just because they've played in a way that's just so unsurprising. Um, so, you know, I, I think, was it a case of, of Chelsea playing badly? Or was it a case of Manchester City just really turning up for the final? Um, you know, maybe, maybe you'd have to say that, that Manchester City really just, just went for it and had the, be- the better setup and, and full credit to them. Mm, I, I definitely think they did, especially with the change in performance, because even in the first half, it wasn't like Chelsea dominated. It was a pretty even game. They just, but Sam Kerr just managed to slot one home off a mistake that did just come from Roebuck. She didn't pick the ball up as she may have should have done. But also, to be fair, she is coming back from injury. I think notable as well in that um, game, they were completely reluctant to allow her to take goal kicks which allowed Chelsea to really press and make uh, and punish them for it in the first half. But that didn't really seem to happen again in the second. Luke, do you think that Chelsea have a problem with kind of underestimating the sides that they play against sometimes? Not necessarily. I mean, especially on Sunday, they're not going to underestimate Man City, are they? But um, it's, it's a statement from City, isn't it? Because we've said, Maybe they're not having as good a season this year. They've, uh, Chelsea have had a bit of a, a hoodoo over in the last couple of years. So to come from behind and win it is is very, very good for them. Um, Chelsea, they have the odd complacent game, don't they? But I can't imagine in a final that they would be complacent. I think maybe they just weren't expecting the response they got from City potentially. And they, they were just blown away in the end, weren't they? Mm, clearly especially with that change into the second half but over to the red side of Manchester on Saturday in the WSL Katie Zellum scored directly from a corner twice as Manchester United comfortably beat Leicester City to go third in the Women's Super League Zellum scored twice in four second half minutes to seal a victory which moved United up above Tottenham and six points behind leaders Arsenal Martha Thomas had swept the opener from Honor Battier's pass after 17 minutes. And Alessia Russo, as per usual, linked up with Ella Toon's cross to put United firmly in control at half-time. Now, David, was that the perfect response to the last two disappointing derby defeats? I think so, you know, and I think that what the coach would have done is would have worked very hard and instilled in his players um, a discipline. And that's what we saw on Saturday. We saw a very disciplined performance from Manchester United. They weren't giving the ball away easily. They weren't making the sort of mistakes as costuming games. Um, so I think full credit to the coach who's obviously assessed that situation, said it wasn't good enough for Manchester United and, you know, spoke to the players and, and made the adjustments accordingly. United are known as set-piece merchants in the WSL. Now, Katie Zellum scored from a corner in the previous game as well, in their 4-1 defeat against Manchester City from the same corner. Now, that was put down to um, Ellie Roebuck's poor positioning in front of goal. But to do this again twice in, in this game as well. It's pretty amazing stuff, wasn't it? To score once from a corner is pretty rare, but twice in one game is absolutely incredible. Luke, what did you think of that? Yeah, I've never seen it done live. I've never seen it done on telly. I mean, like you say, very rare feat that it's done once. So to do it twice, and then she did it last week in the derby as well, so three times in a week. It's, uh, it's something teams have now got to watch out for, haven't they? Rather than mark the men, they just got to run on the line, I think. <laughs> 
It's incredible, I think, with with feats like that, because it also kind of harks the way that you can see how different men's football and women's football is played. So a lot of goals in women's football come from chipping the keeper and you get some incredible ones like the Katie McCabe far out shot, Sam Kerr's um, final goal in the FA Cup um, final and stuff like being able to curl it in from a corner because players are maybe shorter and they have to contend with positioning a little bit more. And you're able to get these kind of wonderful pieces that you don't really see kind of on the other side. I saw something on Twitter where the last time that it had been seen in like the Premier League or like one of the men's higher leagues was in like 2015 and so it really doesn't happen very often so to have three in two games from the same player is quite incredible. So I think the interesting one for me was was I went to that game and I was sat in the south stand which is a stand in front of the goal where she scored. Um, early on I went and sat in the early sort of front rows maybe third row in um, and I noticed it was a very cold, quite strong breeze blowing across um, from the corner where she, she took the corner. Uh, I actually moved seats because it, it, the, the wind was that like cold and biting that I, I went and sat further up to block myself from it. So I have to say that even though it was fantastic, I think there was a little bit of wind assist on both times mm. and fair play to her. You know, she did it the first time and realized that probably realized that the wind was whipping it in there and did exactly the same for the second time. Um, but yeah, I think there was a bit of bit of wind assist on that on both uh, goals, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. It's also really interesting how how much that um, kind of plays a part in it. I think Everton's um, home ground as well is known to be quite quite windy as it's quite exposed, and how that really affects how you're playing, how you're able to play a game. But anyway, onto another game on Saturday. So Maya Letizia's goal in the first half be enough to secure a second successive win for Brighton as they triumphed against Aston Villa at the Bank Stadium. Hope Powell's side made set plays count in a tight encounter as they climbed above Reading into sixth in the WSL. Villa's home form continues to be a problem after a 10th defeat in a row in all competitions. Villa, you feel, probably won't go down, but the last thing you want is finishing the season in a slump, as it can carry over into the next season. Luke, what do you think about Villa's performance? It's not been great, has it? Especially uh, two home games, they'll have wanted to, uh, to have won that and, and sort of push themselves closer towards the, the mid-pack, um, but they've not done that, have they? Um, and... Like you said, they don't want to end the season on a low, really, because that can and carry over to the next season. Mm. Do you think that it is poor on the side of Villa, David, or is it that Brighton are just finding a bit of consistency now? I think Brighton have really got that got their act together. I think the, the set pieces were, were really good. Um, they could have had more. Um, you know, I think my player could have had a couple, to be honest, um, Lee Gubin. Um I spoke to her after the game and she, she was like really not happy with herself, with her, with her finishing. Um, but I th- as I always say to all my strikers, you've got to put yourself in the position first. That's the first part of it. And then obviously um, get the get the finishing. But she she hit it on her left and just sort of sat back and, and, and missed the, the opportunity. So hopefully that'll end. But I think I think there's a really good spirit within Brighton. Um, Hope has got a, has got a a squad there who all want to play for each other. Mm. Um, I know personally from, from obviously speaking to Lee Gumin that um, she loves going to training. They they all have a really good training session and, and Hope doesn't, you know, Hope's strict. I mean, they're, you know, it's not like holiday camp there. They, they are strict, but when they get the results, you know, they all enjoy it. All the players fight for each other. So I think that probably made a difference. Um, I think Villa 
perhaps need to invest a little bit more in, in the squad, um, which I, you know, I, I think Carla definitely wants to do. She's spoken quite often about needing a striker and needing someone who can finish. And I, I think that's, that's probably what they're lacking, but you know, I, I don't, I don't sort of watch Villa and think there's a, there's a club that is, is really struggling. I just think there's, there's quite, you know, just a few little things that they need, but yeah, they need a striker. They need to just tighten up some things at the back, but um, you know, I, I think uh, Carla will be able to do that. Um, and I think, you know, she'll, she'll, she'll get them playing the sap football that she wants to wants them to play. Yeah, completely. They needed a few things to help them kind of slot into place and solidify themselves as someone in the WSL. I think they probably need some progression, like maybe West Ham has had this this season where they've brought in quite a few decent players, which allows them to act more kind of consistency. Talking more about your player, League Human, she started off at Manchester City um, in, back in 2019. I remember reading an article that um, where she was interviewed and said when she first came over, she thought digestive biscuits were healthy and so would eat them on a very regular basis, which I thought was absolutely hysterical. She seems now to have settled into the WSL, hasn't she? Give us the inside scoop, David. Yeah, I think like, I think maybe Manchester City was was too big a club for her when she came in. Mm. Um, but obviously, as, as a player, you know, if Manchester City come in, to, in for you, you don't turn them down. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I think it was... If it had been the other way, where she'd been at Brighton first and then moved on to Manchester City, I think that that would have been a better situation. Yeah. Um, but she just wasn't quite prepared for for how things were at City. Brighton has just been a really good fit for her. Um, you know, she went there on loan initially, and and just instantly it clicked. Um, she's got a, a coach that works really well with her. She's got. A, a, I think the the big thing about Brighton, and I. You know, you really can't stress this enough. It, certainly in women's football, is just having good teammates around. You're just having people who will watch your back and look after you, uh, especially as a new player who doesn't speak, you know, English that well and needs to learn English. Just having good people, um, and I think some clubs can suffer from the fact that there, there can be a, a more of a combative dog eat dog uh, camp, um, for want of a, a better phrase. But I just, I think, you know, Brighton do have a lot of good professionals, but also nice people. And she's slotted in well. She's very popular with the squad. Uh, and we've seen that reflected in, in her performances. Yeah, completely. It's really imp- important that you're playing for each other as well as playing for playing for the badge. Elsewhere in London, Viviana Miedemar became the first player to reach 100 Women's Super League goal contributions as leaders Arsenal saw off Birmingham. She's now scored 70 goals, made 30 assists and done all of that in 83 games. Rafael Souza opened the scoring with Miedemar adding a second and Beth Mead putting Arsenal 3-0 up. Libby Smith and Lucy Quinn gave Arsenal a scare and Birmingham a little bit of hope by bringing it back to 3-2, but Caitlin's forward late strike moved Arsenal eight points clear at the top of the table. It meant Arsenal avenged that shock defeat at Birmingham just eight weeks ago. And it also rem- let's also remember that that 2-0 win over Arsenal back eight weeks ago is Birmingham's only win this season. Jonas Eidevel was pleased overall with his side's performance, but was concerned that his team played with fear once they went 3-0 up. Is that the only thing that can maybe trip Arsenal up for the title, David? I think that Arsenal are, are a very interesting team to watch. I mean, I watched them against um, Reading midweek 
and they can be sort of relentless. You sort of know that a goal, a goal is going to come from them, but you don't know exactly how long it's going to take. It, they, they can be very patient, and then they seem to just hit the form, um, and all of a sudden the goals start flowing. I, I think they're they're a very difficult side to play. Um, yeah, they had that that bad spell um, where I think they they got a little bit out of out of form um, and started probably not not playing in the way that he wanted them to play. Um, but I think they've got that back now. I, I, I always think of Arsenal as being a little bit like going for a swim with jaws in the water. You, you know there's danger there, but you don't know exactly when it's going to come and you're just waiting for it. So there's, I always find there's a, if you're the opposition, there's always a bit of tension when you play in Arsenal because you're just waiting for it to happen. Whereas I think um, you know Chelsea are probably a little bit more explosive and you know that the threat's coming immediately. With Arsenal, they can be so, so patient with the build-up and then all of a sudden quick and they've got you and, and once they've got you sides tend to crumble so um but I, I think they're a very strong team and, and I think that the champion the race for the championship is still very tight despite the games in hand you know they're putting points on the board and, and you'd rather have uh, points on the board rather than you know extra games saying that though 36% of Birmingham's goals this season have come against Arsenal They've not scored that much, but a sizable amount of them have been against Arsenal. Now, should Arsenal be worried about how quickly they can fall apart? Should questions be asked of why can Birmingham break Arsenal down, but not other teams? So do you think that this is a problem with Arsenal's defence or that Birmingham can sometimes switch on and play against the big guns, but can't be consistent in their form? Luke, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think... Birmingham played Arsenal every week. They won't be bottom, would they? <laughs> Probably not. It's a very no, good it, point, actually. It is. Yeah, just have their own little mini league. Um, <laughs> no, it's it is a funny one, isn't it? Maybe they feel that they raised the game a bit better. Of course, they beat. I think they beat Chelsea last year, didn't they? Um, or was it? But it might have been Brighton. Brighton. But Brighton I know they caused Chelsea. They caused Chelsea a lot of problems last year as well when mm-hmm. Chelsea marched on the title. So maybe it's a um, mentality thing as well. Um, but I find championship form from the now Birmingham, haven't they, to kind of stay up. They are getting more and more adrift. And I would say they've got to look to next season, but then we're going to get onto the championship later and see kind of how tight and how hard it is to get out of that league. So there's no guarantee that if they did go down, they come straight back up. Mm. Elsewhere in London, we had Spurs manager Rianne Skinner on last week. If you missed that, definitely subscribe to us and then you can hear the whole episode again. It was very insightful. And her side were in action this week as they travelled to Reading. It was a missed opportunity to go second, though, as they could only draw nil-nil at the Majeski Stadium. Spurs went closest to scoring when Ashley Neville's looping cross shot hit the inside of the post. Neville and Rhea Percival also had efforts well saved by the Reading goalkeeper Grace Maloney. Reading's best chance fell to Amelia Eichland, whose volley was denied by Spurs goalkeeper Corpola. The draw means Tottenham stay just outside Champions League qualification places in fourth behind Manchester United on goal difference. This nil-nil result was definitely the best result for both Manchester United and Manchester City's hope of making that Champions League spot. Reading, meanwhile, move up to sixth after ending a run of three successive defeats in all competitions. Last week, Rianne Skinner spoke to us about still being a good season, no matter what happens. But what a missed opportunity was that. 
What do you think, David? They've got a quite difficult run of fixtures ahead to Tottenham. Do you think that they can still be fighting for that third place spot? I think they can. I think the result makes that a lot harder, though. Um, but I think for, for a nil-nil draw, I think if you were a neutral, um, fortunately I, I wasn't because I had like three players, um, <laughs> two, on, two, on, two at Spurs and, and one at Reading. So it kind of made it a little bit hard hard to watch. But I think as, as an entertainment, I think it was a fantastic game. I think it's probably one of the best nil-nils I've seen um, in, the, in the WSL for quite some time, to be honest. Um, there were great opportunities, but I think probably overall, I think Reading would probably be happier because it, it sort of it makes them more secure because I think they did have a, a loss, etc. So having the clean sheet for them was probably the better result for Spurs. I think it's it's definitely they'd look at it as, as two points dropped, certainly from the from the opportunities that they created. Um, having said that, Reading could have nicked it themselves. I think it was a great strike from uh, Amelia Ackland. Um, just give her a plug because she's my player as well. But uh, <laughs> I think her her shot was was you know came very close to to going in. Um, so yeah, one of those games where you you kind of. It's certainly from, from my point of view when I'm watching, you kind of want, you wish both teams could win. Um, you know, both teams could get three points rather than just the one point. But I think it's damaged Spurs, you know, hopes of, of getting in the top four because he would have looked at that and said, okay, we, we should be taking three points here. Um, as you say, they've got some, some difficult games coming up. So um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough one. I think they've got, um, you know, they've really got to sort of knuckle down. But I think the main thing with Spurs and the main problem they've had this season is just converting those chances and scoring goals. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why Ashley Neville has, has, you know, had such a great season is because of the fact that she's one of the few players who've sort of stepped up and said, look, I'm going to try and get some goals because they are quite reliant on on Rachel Williams a lot. It was also quite a solid performance from Reading. Is it? Do you think that they're back on track now? They had what was it, six straight wins before their run of two defeats, and now the taking the draw here against Tottenham, which could have been a bit of a tricky fixture if they hadn't have turned up for it. Do you think that this is getting them back into the right position, a Kelly Chambers masterclass, if you will? Yeah, I think you've got to give credit for to Reading for how they played. That's you know, I think Reading would have come away from that game a lot more satisfied because they secured things at the back. Um, and did a lot better job defending, which I think they needed to. After having you know conceded, you know some easy goals really to to Arsenal, um, they looked a lot a lot more stronger at the back. But the the thing with Reading is is they they can be so inconsistent, and that's the biggest consistency about Reading is their inconsistency. Is, is you know they they'll they'll go on a, a run of, of really great games and they'll play one game and you think yeah this 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 team's playing really well and then they'll play another game and it did like they won't have shown up and then next week they'll be back. So I think it's it must be really frustrating for Kelly because she knows how good they can play. Um but you know sometimes it it doesn't quite work and the, and the players don't turn up and then they're back. So I think getting that consistency has always been the hardest thing for her, um, you know. But I, as I said, I think I think Kelly is a is a good coach. I think she's put a good team together, um, and I think that performance, you know, was was a good stop um, after the Arsenal. I think they they needed that. I think the clean sheet was very important after Arsenal, and hopefully that will give them um, strength moving forwards in the league. We're going to move on to the championship next. Brilliant! I've finally quit. 
I can keep up with my kids now. I feel like I've got my life back. It's an amazing feeling when you stop smoking and you can experience it for yourself. Our range of free support can help you quit for good. From our app to emails, face-to-face support and online communities. Search Smoke Free. Better health. Let's do this. In the championship on Saturday, Sheffield United produced a convincing win at Watford. Neil Redfern's Blades won 4-0 thanks to the goals from Courtney Sweetman-Kirk, a stunning goal from Rima Lord-Mears and Lucy Watson, with Ellie Wilson heading in just after half-time. Redfern feels that they can have a strong end to the season. The league leaders Liverpool saw their seven-game FA Women's Championship winning run come to an end with a 1-1 draw away at London City Lionesses. The Reds took an early lead when the USA's Katie Stengel pounced on a defensive error to slot the ball past the keeper from close range. Brooke Nunn's second-half equaliser helped London City dent Liverpool's title hopes in a 1-1 draw. Bristol City, their closest title rivals, kept their heads in the race for the championship with their fourth league win in a row as they saw off Lewis 3-0. Bristol City dominated a goalless first half that saw them nearly go ahead on several occasions. But the floodgates opened after the break, with Morgan finding the back of the net before doubling her lead with 10 minutes to go. City's third came when Abby Harrison smashed in during stoppage time to seal a fourth win in a row for the Robins. The results see City in second, while Lewis are eighth after back-to-back defeats. At the bottom of the table, Coventry United remain bottom, but are still fighting. Kate Wilkinson's header earned Coventry United just their second victory of the season as the FA Women's Championship strugglers gave their survival hopes a lift by beating a 10-woman Crystal Palace. A closely fought first half ended goalless, with both sides having chances to open the scoring. Wilkinson steered home Olivia Ferguson's cross midway through the second half to take United within seven points of Watford with six games to play. Durham are also back to winning ways. Liz Eoop's second half strike secured a first win in a month for Durham women as they saw off Blackburn Rovers 2-1 on the road. Rio Hardy gave Durham a first half lead with a rasping finish before Blackburn equalised early in the second half when Natasha Fenton's free kick glanced off our defender's head and flew in from the corner. The winner came when Eoop bundled home following Beth Heppel's cross just past the hour mark. The result means Durham move into the top four while Blackburn Rovers remain in 10th. Neve Heron scored twice as Sunderland grabbed their first FA Women's Championship win since Halloween with a 2-0 victory against Charlton. Heron broke the deadlock just before the hour mark with a low finish that found the back of the Charlton net. She ensured that Sunderland would secure all three points in stoppage time from the penalty spot after a foul on Holly Manders. The result means Sunderland are ninth whilst Charlton are level on points with South London rivals Crystal Palace in fifth. It is actually going to be quite an exciting end to the season at both ends of the table. David, hot off the press, who do you think's going up? Who do you think's going down? Um, well, I think you'd, you'd have to say that, that Liverpool are going up. Um, you know, they've by far been the strongest team this season. Um, they've got a very, very canny manager there in, in you know, Matt Beard. Um, I think what he's done with Liverpool, when you looked at how they struggled before, I think he's really solidified them. 
Um, I know that they, they got that beating again from from Arsenal in, in the FA Cup, but I think they'll use that as as actually was quite a good thing to happen to them in regards to the league because what it would have done is would have woken up a few players that they can't cruise um, and also let players know that what sort of challenges are going to be coming ahead uh, post-promotion. So that that defeat could actually be just what they needed, um, you know, to regalvanize them for, for the for the rest of the, the year. But I think I think you've got to say that they would be would be favourites. I know Bristol are, are Bristol are, are, are catching and they're, they're chasing very, very well. So you know this could go to the wire if Liverpool don't you know keep their foot on the gas and, and keep pushing for, for the wins. Um, at the bottom end, I think obviously the 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 10 point deduction to Coventry has probably killed them. Mm. Um, and I think that's you know that's sad when you see the players rallying because it's you know none of that came about through the players. Um, you know it was the ownership and the players are going to pay the price for that, which I think you know that's the cruel side about football. Yeah, completely. The good thing is, though, they're not going down without a fight, though, are they? That's, yeah. that's the main thing. They're not feeling sorry for themselves, so we'll make it interesting. It will definitely make it interesting. See if they can keep it up, but who knows, really. We'll see what happens at the end of the season. Moving on to the National League action. In the North, Wolves suffered their first defeat of the season. Wolves went down at Burnley thanks to two goals from Courtney Willis and Sarah Greenhouch adding a third. Wolves stay top, three points ahead with two games in hand. Derby County also missed the chance to close the gap. They went down 2-0 at West Brom, played in front of a record crowd at the Hawthorns for, the, for a women's game. Lee Dugmore opened the scoring before Evie Gallup added a second with her first touch after coming on as a sub. Stoke City were thumped at home by Middlesbrough 6-0. It was looking rosy for the Potters when they took the lead in the first minute through Manuel Deli. Armani Maxwell was among the pick of scorers for Middlesbrough as she grabbed a brace on a fantastic afternoon for the Borough. In the South, very few goals around Portsmouth, Cardiff and Gillingham and MK Dons as they all drew 0-0. Ipswich opened up a two-point gap at the top thanks to a 1-0 win at Bridgewater United and a great getting the goal there. And down at the bottom... Goals from Gemma Rose and Tash Natman saw Plymouth move out of the relegation zone. But over in sunnier shores, let's look at the situation in the A-League, where Sydney FC were winners of the A-League Premier Plate. David, you represent Brooke Hendricks, and she's been playing out there for Melbourne Victory. How does she feel the season has gone for her? Yeah, well, um, Brooke was was sort of a late injury replacement, um, and it happened very fast because, um, you know, we were speaking to NWSL clubs, and then all of a sudden um, I got a, a message from from Jeff uh, at Melbourne Victory, basically, have I got a central defender? Because <laughs> they'd lost their main one, and, and they were still challenging for a playoff position. Um, they won it last year, um, and, and Brooke was available. So it all a bit of a whirlwind for her. She was thrown in straight away and, and because of the COVID they'd literally been playing like two games a week and that's what they went through so she she came on she had the best debut ever they had a clean sheet and she scored on her debut amazing, amazing. which for, for a central defender I think is, is something pretty special um, it was yeah it was funny actually because I had been speaking to um, Anna Morehouse um, who, who's now at Orlando Pride and she, she's a friend of Brooks obviously we know we know each other from uh, from West Ham and she said that you know, 
Brooke, Brooke, make sure that Brooke sticks her big head on something when she gets over there because she'll, she'll get him a goal and, and that's exactly what she did. Um, they, they started off really well um, and then I think fatigue kind of crept into the squad. Um, so they just sort of squeezed into fourth place, uh, well, stayed at fourth, fourth place and, and just sort of squeezed over the line to go into the playoffs. Um, they've got a bit of a rest time now and then it's, it's, it's really just going to be a, a cup run now. So, you know, you never know really what's, what's going to happen. It, it could surprise it, but she, she's very much enjoying it there. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a good league. It's getting, it's getting stronger. Um, you know, I, I think that the strange one, I think from this weekend was that, um, you know, the loss of Shane Warren, I think even if you're not a, a cricket fan, um, he was he was Melbourne and she's she's from America and doesn't know anything about cricket. But, you know, one of the things that she commented to me about was just the, there was a sudden feeling of sadness just came over. Um, I think it's a massive, massive loss um, for Australia. I think it's affecting all sports. Um, so that that was kind of a weird one because, they you know, celebrating getting through to the to the semi to the uh, grand final series. Um, but yet yeah, this this strange sort of mood there at the moment with with the loss of Shane Warren because it is a it's a national it's a national tragedy um and I think that's that's probably the the weird take of the weekend mm. yeah completely and we're finishing there don't forget to subscribe on all good podcasting platforms and leave us a review follow us on twitter at twfp1 and the women's football podcast on instagram have a great week and see you all soon